Six straight wins for the Cavs. George Niang dropping 33 last night. Career high for him. Uh, you got everybody just seems to be playing great basketball right now. Everyone's eating it up. A lot of three balls. And there's rumors that they can make some trades at the deadline to get even better. But are you are you buying into the idea that they are now contenders again? And and whatever your definition, I guess, of contender is. Because it could be a championship contender. It could just be playoff contender. I think the latter is certainly still true. And the fact that they've stayed afloat certainly speaks to the team's resilience. We, we like throwing that word around a lot in Cleveland right now, especially after the Brown season that they had. Um, but they're they're sticking with it. They're fourth in the East and climbing, and reinforcements are on the horizon. To break it all down, talk about how those reinforcements could re- get reinserted and fit back into the starting lineup, we welcome on in from Bleacher Report, NBA writer Greg Swartz, our friend of the show. Greg, how's it going tonight, my man? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on tonight. Um, first of all, I, I I guess I'll start with what I kind of was teasing coming in here, which is this idea that listen, Cavs won six in a row. They've kept this. They, they've kept the train on the tracks despite these two massive injuries that felt like it was almost a doomsday scenario a little over a month ago in December. And it's looking like they're going to kind of emerge from this thing, still very much in the mix, still very much in the playoff picture. Um, what does this look like though? Because they're playing really good basketball in terms of the ball movement and pace of play and shooting a lot of threes, as we've seen, whether they're knocking them down or not. Um, And I I just wonder how flawless it will be or what bumps in the road could emerge as you reinsert Darius Garland and Evan Moby back into this thing over the next couple weeks and month or so. Yeah, I think with Darius, he's an easy fit back in the system. Um, The the big difference with the Cavs over the last – 14 games or so for me has been the amount of three pointers taken and made. Um, If you look at the Cavs before kind of like that middle of December where we lost Darius and we lost Evan, Um, Evan had missed a couple games before that. And it was officially ruled out Um, during that time. The Cavs were 25th in the NBA at 11.4, three pointers made per game shooting about 34.5%. That's about where the Charlotte Hornets ranked. Uh, about the Toronto Raptors before they made their trades, you're you're looking at the bottom of the NBA. Um, since that time, the Cavs rank second in the NBA and made threes, only behind the Boston Celtics, which are obviously the best team in the NBA. So to me, that's the biggest difference. Um, so if you're talking about what adjustments are they going to make, well, you put Darius back in. Darius is obviously an excellent three-point shooter. He creates threes for others. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy. He's a great uh, shooter uh, spotting up. Um, No problems there. The issue is Evan. And when you put Evan on the floor, we know the positives that come with Evan, but we also know the negatives. And you're removing a shooter off the court. If you're taking Dean Wade off, if you're taking Isaac Cora off, you're taking a guy who will at least give you spacing. And right now, Evan doesn't give that for you. And he's never provided that for you. So they're going to have to adjust how they play. And the number of three-pointers that they take is inevitably going to have to come down or else Evan's going to have to start shooting him. And so far, uh, here we are year three. We have no evidence that that's going to happen. Yeah. So how sustainable, without that in mind, how sustainable is it that they continue to play this way and do it effectively? Because I, I know it was asked last night of J.B. Bickerstaff, you know, what does this thing look like when those guys get back? Can you keep playing this way? And he obviously is going to sit there and say what he said, which was, yeah, we think we can. We, we know what this thing looks like now. But what is it really going to look like once you 
start thinking through how Mobley fits into this thing when you do take a shooter off the floor. Yeah, uh, and Mobley, it's not like Mobley is a guy who plays 15 minutes off the bench. I mean, this is a starter right. that's going to give you over 30 minutes a game, so that makes a huge difference. Um, the other thing is, after those guys went down, we started using Sam Merrill more. And yeah. is Sam Merrill still going to be in the rotation? Because here's a guy that makes darn near 50% of his three-pointers, um, is an excellent uh, floor spacer where he, you, you don't have to ask him to shoot. <laughs> I mean, you get him the ball, uh, he's jacking that thing up uh, on a per minute <laughs> basis more than just about anybody in the league. Uh, he's not afraid to let it fly whether it goes in or not. He's like Swaggy P almost. That, that's, that's fine, <laughs> yes. He's, he's the modern-day uh, yeah, Nick Young. So uh, <laughs> I think he needs to stay in the rotation, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because obviously Darius plays 30 minutes a night and Evan has to play 30 minutes a night. Um, somebody's going to get squeezed. Somebody's going to be either eliminated completely or their minutes are going to be cut. And you're looking at Isaac Coral. You're looking at Sam Merrill. You're looking at some of these guys, Dean Wade. Um, and all these guys are shooters. All these guys space the floor. Um, you know, Coral obviously to a lesser extent, but somebody's going to get squeezed out. And I just don't think it's sustainable to shoot as many threes as they are now once you put Evan back on the court. Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report, joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. So is that going to be the right move then for this team? Like, is the style they're playing with now what they should maybe try to stick with more of? I don't know what that means. Like, does that mean Evan Mobley plays less minutes and you – I mean, I, I, on some level, I'm sure when he comes back, you're going to ease him back in any way. He'll probably be on a minutes restriction. But is is going back to Evan Mobley full speed ahead and running the offense through him and, and some of the things they tried early in the season – really the way that they should kind of try to win down the stretch of the season here into the into the spring? Or should they try to do it differently like they're doing right now? Well, I, offensively, you can't play the same way you were playing before. And a lot of what they're going to do, too, is, uh, you know, Tristan Thompson, who's got more run lately as a backup to Jared Allen. Well, I mean, Evan Mobley's going to be the backup five now. So Tristan Thompson is either going to be you know, five to 10 minutes a game or, or you're not going to see him because he's going to play a lot of backup five because they're going to want to keep four shooters on the floor. You know, if, whether it's Jared at the center, uh, Evan Mobley at the center, but you're going to want to keep those four shooters out there. Um, because if you just look at, you know, the starting lineup numbers and the starting lineup that they've been using now with Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, Isaac Coro, Dean Wade, Jared Allen, that lineup, that five-man lineup has almost played as many minutes as their regular starting lineup now. Uh, wow. 304 possessions to 294. So there's only 10 pos- possession difference uh, overall. Um, their regular starting five, uh, that offense ranks in the 33rd percentile overall. This new starting five where you've got Donovan Mitchell at point guard, uh, you don't have uh, Evan Mobley, you have uh, four shooters on the floor, that offense ranks in the 85th percentile. They're scoring 16 more points per 100 possessions because of that added floor spacing and to me that's remarkable because yeah. you just took off an all-star point guard and your offense went up by that much so I think the answer is somewhere in the middle obviously you've got to play your best guys um, you've got to play Evan big minutes and he's going to help your defense you've got to play Darius big minutes but at some point you can't go back to where you were before because that offense just wasn't good enough yeah J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have his work cut out for him speaking of J.B. Bickerstaff do we could I don't know if it's Omen apology, but is there on, on some level how much credit does he deserve for keeping the, the train on the tracks here and keeping this thing together? Because 
listen, like you lose two of your star players the way this team did, and they already were off to a rough start. Things could have really folded in there, and they've been able to kind of keep it together here. So how much credit do you think he deserves for just kind of keeping this locker room together and finding ways to win, even if it's against inferior opponents like we've seen, I guess, of late with teams like the Wizards and the Bulls and all that? Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I, I, you, you haven't played the strongest opponents, and you just played the Bucks without Giannis. But it, these are still NBA teams. Like, they're not just going to yeah. roll over and die for you. They're not the, the Detroit Pistons. Like, these are still teams with a pulse. <laughs> so you have to at least uh, show a little bit of effort. And it, it would have been very easy, especially when you get that one-two punch, you know, on the same day, finding out that Evan was going to miss a couple months and Darius was going to miss a couple months. Yeah, it would have been really easy to lose that and think, oh, Donovan's going to have to score 40 a game for us to win. Um, I'm not just going to give credit to Bickerstaff, I'm going to give credit to Kobe Altman because this was a team mm. that needed a lot of depth, and that's what he addressed this offseason. If you look at last night, um, that was still a good Bucks team. They just got Jay Crowder back. They still have Damian Lillard. Uh, they still have Chris Middleton. They have Brooke Lopez. They, they had a lot of good guys still, and you have George Nguyen go off for over 30 points uh, coming off the bench. You have Max Struess that even if he's not knocking down shots, He's a distraction. He's a, he's, he moves the ball. He's somebody you have to guard. Um, Jared Allen, I feel like, you know, uh, credit to him, but credit to JB for, you know, kind of putting him more in a, a playmaker role where he's been outstanding as a passer, and that's not something we've, we've seen from him a lot throughout his career. So I, let's give credit to JB, but let's give, give credit to Kobe because if this team wasn't as deep as it was, uh, this season could have been lost by now. At Greg Swartz BR on X is where you can find him. He's Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report. You talk about depth and Kobe Altman's uh, ability to address that in the offseason and really build this roster out this year. Is there a chance to do more of that at the deadline? We saw some names pop up this week. DeAndre Hunter, which seems like a, a bit of an albatross of a contract to take on, but also Royce O'Neal from Brooklyn, who they've been linked to a couple times and obviously has a relationship with Donovan Mitchell. How likely is it you think that the the Cavaliers pull off uh, some sort of trade to maybe add more shooting or at least add some more depth on this roster? Yeah, I mean, you're just really limited with what you can trade. And then it's like salary-wise, who do you give up? Because if you bring in, you know, I I have no interest in DeAndre Hunter. Uh, He's making over $20 million a year. He's on a four-year contract. He's just never been a great NBA player. He's been okay. He's never been great. And I think he's overpaid. Um, if you want to go get a guy like that, who are you giving up? Because you got to give up a guy, you know, like a Karis LeVert, uh, who you have to max, match contract numbers with. And I just don't know that that makes you better if you do that. Um, Royce O'Neal is a little bit more attainable. He makes about $9.5 He's on an expiring contract. Uh, he's coming off the bench for the Nets. The Nets are in this weird position where they're trying to win, but if, if they lose, that's not good either because their first-round pick is owed to the Houston Rockets, so if they're bad, they can't even take advantage of it. Um, so I, I don't know why they would sell necessarily. I think they would want to do a, a winning piece for a winning piece, um, and I don't know what a framework looks like for them either. So um, it, I, I don't think it's going to be a real active deadline for Cleveland just because you don't have a lot to send out. You've got some second-round picks. Um, Isaac Coral would probably interest uh, a rebuilding team that needed a, a defensive-minded wing. But again, I like Isaac, and he did a great job on Damian Lillard last night. So do you really want to give him up? Um, if I'm the Cavs, I, I'm not doing anything that's kind of really shaking up this locker room, and I don't have a lot of options to do that either. So I would widely expect 
this Cavs roster to stay the same now uh, as it is in, in, in a couple weeks for the trade deadline um, just because of their, their limited on they can trade. Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. A few more minutes here. Speaking of trades, did you feel the Pascal Siakam trade was a good one for Indiana, giving up the three first-rounders plus to acquire his services? That that was more than I expected, um, especially with Toronto when they traded OG and Anobi, they didn't even get a first round pick back, and they kind of signaled that they were interested in players other than picks, and they they're not interested in completely tearing this down. So the fact that they went for a pick heavy package from Indiana, I think, was interesting. Um, and then Messiah Jiri came out today and said that he, they definitely are planning on making more trades. So I keep an eye on Toronto and see what they do to see if maybe they flip those picks and try to bring in a different star that maybe fits that core better. Um, Indiana, it, it's, I, I thought it was kind of funny because you look at, you know, you think of like the Lakers, the Knicks, as these teams that they're always linked to the superstars. They're the ones that, you know, all these, these superstars are pushing for trades for. Who's made some of the best, biggest trades in the NBA over the last year? It's been these Midwest teams. It's been the Milwaukee Bucks with Damian Lillard. It's been the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell. It's been the Indiana Pacers with Pascal Siakam, uh, even the Minnesota Timberwolves with Rudy Gobert. Yeah, um, it's kind of it's kind of been cool to see. Um, you know, we'll see if ultimately those trades work out or not. But the fact that these Midwest kind of small market teams are the teams that are getting these all stars and these superstars, uh, I think it's neat. I think it's good for the league. So I was happy to see it. Sham Sharanya dropped the line the other day about how Golden State is basically open for business aside from Steph Curry. They'll trade anybody but him. What do you think the Warriors are going to look like after the deadline? Is this kind of the end of their dynasty with that big trio of players that we've all come to know? Yeah, the, the Warriors are in rough shape, and I, I don't think anybody in Cleveland is going to shed a tear for them. Um, they're no. in 12th place. <laughs> the only teams they're beating in the West right now are the Spurs, the Trailblazers, and the Grizzlies. Like, that's it. Those are the only teams in the West that they're ahead of in the standings. Um, even if you look at Steph Curry's on-off numbers, he's not been the player he's been before, and it's understandable. He's 35. Um, you know, you and I are probably about that age, and we're, we're not the people we used to be either, so no disrespect <laughs> to Steph. My knees, um, my knees remind me of that all the time, Greg. <laughs> believe me. So our, our better days are behind us, too. That's okay. Uh, I I don't see the Warriors trading Draymond Green. I don't see them trading Klay Thompson. I, you've got a new GM there, and Mike Dunleavy Jr. Is that really what he wants his legacy to start out as? As the Warriors GM trading two franchise icons. Um, now, if they trade Andrew Wiggins, I won't be surprised. But all these reports come out saying like, well, they really like Jonathan Kaminga. They really like Moses Moody. And they really like Brandon Pazinski. And it, well, all their good young players, they don't want to trade them either. So at some point, what are you going to give up to yeah. get something? Uh, Siakam was a name that you thought was linked to them for a while. That would be a major upgrade. Um, but now we're, we're he's off the table. OG Ananobi's off the table. Um, Zach Levine is a name that I don't think makes any sense there. Obviously, a guy that's on the trade deadline, on the, on the trade market now. Um, I, I don't see the move out there that's going to jumpstart this franchise and bring him back to a title. I just don't. I think the Warriors are... And I said this before the season started. Uh, my bold predictions for Bleacher Report, I said the Golden State Warriors are going to miss the playoffs this year, and I, I'm going to stand by that. I, I, I think they missed the postseason altogether.
Congratulations on all your success. You uh, you nailed that one right from the jump. That's awesome. We'll um, see. We'll see. It's not over yet. We'll see. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I'll get you out of here with this real quick. Playoff picture, Eastern Conference. Cavs are sort of right back in that same spot as last year. Four with the Knicks in that 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 beloved fifth spot. Chance for those two teams to obviously duke it out here down the long stretch of the season that remains and maybe be the matchup again going to the playoffs in that first round. But there's the teams behind them too, the Heat, the Pacers. I'm going to be honest, Greg, like all three of those teams kind of scare me as first-round matchups because the Pacers' offense is ridiculous, the Heat or the Heat. And then the Knicks last year, the way they bullied the Cavs kind of worries me. Which of those teams do you think is maybe the most worrisome for the Cavs if they're trying to avoid one? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, originally you would have said, like, well, bring on Indiana. And then they just added a two-time All-Star, yeah. two-time All-NBA, All-Star starter in the front court. So I don't, I don't want to see them. But if you're looking Knicks, Heat, Pacers, I don't want to see the Knicks. I think that would bring back a lot of bad memories. I think the Knicks got a lot better uh, when they traded R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for O.G. Ananobi. They have a team that all of a sudden is really tough. Jalen Brunson is a tough player. Ananobi's a tough player. Josh Hart is a tough player. Uh, I mean, if and we and we got them with Julius Randle coming off an ankle injury, and he was not the same Julius Randle in that series. Um, and by that time, they could get Mitchell Robinson back too. And the Cavs had all sorts of problems with Mitchell Robinson, um, as, as he pointed out uh, in his post-game press conference, the one game. So the Knicks are the team. I would hate to see them. I think it bring back a lot of bad memories, and especially if you're looking at. Uh, Donovan Mitchell being one year away from free agency, potentially losing to the Knicks two years in a row in the first round. Uh, give me anybody but the Knicks in the front in the first round. That's who I would pick. I tend to agree. He's Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report. You can follow him on X at Greg Swartz BR. Always appreciate your time, my man. You always have some great insight, especially into what lies ahead for the Cavs as they get Mobley and Garland back here in the in the coming months. Appreciate you so much. We'll definitely do it again soon.